Hello and welcome to episode five, Print is Dead. My name is Harry Krinsky. Today I uh, talk to Moss Perconi, who's a TV writer and stand-up comedian living in New York City. Um, I talked to Moss about uh, what it's like being a TV writer, how he got into doing stand-up in New York at, at 17 and um, growing up conservative and how that uh, has sort of affected the way he looks at politics and political TV writing and uh, a bunch of other stuff. So enjoy my conversation with Moss Perconi. Very handy, I can tell. I bet you like to read a lot, too. Print is dead. That's very fascinating to me. I read a lot myself. Some people think I'm too intellectual, but I think it's a fabulous way to spend your spare time. I also play racquetball. Do you have any hobbies? Well, what have you been up to? What, what, uh, what are you, where, where are you working right now? I'm doing... Not Patriot Act, right? No, no, Patriot Act, we, uh, we wrapped up over the summer, um, and right. now I'm doing, I'm writing on the reboot of Beavis and Butthead, um, which has been really fun, and, uh... Damn. Uh, I you know that's so funny. I saw it on your on your um, Instagram, and I was like, "That's probably ironic." <laughs> I was like, "I, I, 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 it looks I wasn't, I, yeah, I wasn't entirely sure." You know, that is something that somebody uh, could say ironically, Absolutely. but I think that's even better that it's that it's, it's a, not. There's a little that's mystery awesome. to it when it's like when I say ironic, yeah. it's like, does he? Maybe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah um, been doing that for about the last six months, and I think it wraps up in about a month. That feels to me that there is a really different style of humor um, from Patriot Act to Beavis and Butthead. Is that, was that like an exciting whiplash, or was that like uh, uh, yeah, um, jarring? What was up with that? It was. It was really exciting. I mean, I really wanted to do narrative. Um, and I, I, I honestly had never seen Beavis and Butthead. I was a little bit. Really? It yeah. came out a little bit. I feel like I missed it by like three years. Um, uh-huh. And so I didn't really know the characters or anything. But then, like, I mean, the people involved were people that I would, like, you know, would be a dream to work with. And I feel like there was so much to learn. And, like, yeah, so I was, like, I was super excited for it. And, like, have fallen in love with the show after. Like, I went back and watched the old episode. Yeah. And they're, like, genuinely really fucking funny. And it makes sense because these people are, like, are just legendary comedy writers. They're so good. And so it's like, yeah. And it's hard to, it genuinely is hard to write like stupid jokes in a smart way. It's really, I have such a hard time with it. I am bad at it. I'm really bad at it. I've like, it's been such a steep learning curve. I mean, I was horrible when I started out. Now I feel like I'm just regularly bad, but like, it is fun. It's really fun. And like everyone, I mean, everyone involved is so funny that it's like, I forget that I am also supposed to contribute where I'll have moments where I'm like, Oh, I've, I've just been spectating for like 30 minutes. I should say something. But they're <laughs> right. so fucking funny and they're also good at doing the voices that it's like, I just feel so lucky to be watching it. I mean, it sucks to be over Zoom. I, I wish we were all in person. And like, I hate, hate, hate pitching zo- jokes over Zoom. It's just like, it's brutal. It feels like you're throwing them into a void. No one really laughs. But, I mean, I fucking laugh. I laugh yeah. at everything. It's probably annoying to everyone else. But like, it's genuinely <laughs> very fun. Um, and yeah, it was, a, it was a great experience. Um, what, is there... I guess there are two ways I could imagine the Beavis and Butthead's writer's room is that one is it's a bunch of, you know, like 
really well in both scenarios it's a bunch of really smart people but one it's them just going full idiot and like just kind of doing fart jokes and all that kind of stuff the whole time the other way is that there is a kind of like nuanced kind of esoteric discussion about the um you know fart jokes and stuff which one is it oh that's such a good question it's kind of it's i would say neither it's a thing where i feel like these people speak and like such fully formed, well-developed jokes in the voice of the characters. That is like, I mean, you're, <laughs> it's crazy. like watching an episode of Beavis and Butthead get improvised in front of you. And the jokes wow. are so fucking sharp and like every word is exactly where it's supposed to be. It's just kind of magical to watch. And I, I cannot do that right now. I, I like really, I think about a joke for so long and then I'll kind of like, like, am I going to say it? Am I going to say it? And then finally like, I'm going to fucking say it. And I'll like put my head down. Um, but these people are so, they're magical. They just fucking spit it out and it's amazing and like it is just like it's just it's funny in a way that like is is viscerally funny in a way that like it genuinely provokes laughter as opposed to like uh, i don't know some kind of comedy where you're like oh that's funny that's a good joke whatever like that's right. a lot of patriot act is like which i love and had the time in my life at patriot act but it was a lot of like okay this how does this joke work like is that's funny like i think that's funny but, and I, I don't know, I guess I would have moments like this at Patriot Act, but there's so many moments in this where I'm genuinely like, I, I have like a belly laugh in a way that like, I haven't had since I saw like Step Brothers in theaters, where it's like, I cannot stop laughing. Yeah, it's yeah. literally very funny. Um, Damn. And I'm excited for, I'm excited for it to come out. Like, it'll be fun to, to see it. Yeah, it's been, it's just been, it's been so fun. Um, but. Okay. I, I, uh, I, I not buried the lead, but I got ahead of myself. I do want to talk about how you came to get into comedy, how you like, you know, I, I do know, I know you started really young, mm-hmm. right? You started doing stand up like at 19. Is that right? Uh, actually, yeah. Like I, the, I think like towards the end of 17, I started cause I, I was a little bit, oh my God. but just cause I like, I just came to NYU. I, I have a weird birthday where I'm like, I could have either been the youngest person in my grade or the oldest person in my right. grade. And so I was the youngest person. So I came to college at like, yeah, I hadn't turned 18 yet. Or like was just about to turn 18 and then started. That's that a real, week. if you like, if you had been the oldest in your grade, you would have be like a, a football player. <laughs> Those are the kids that end up. At, at, um, God, you would be you talking know. to me about my beautiful lacrosse career. I would be. <laughs> there you actually, that's right. Exactly. That's so um, funny. Yeah. Okay, so you, uh, when I was seventeen, I, I mean, uh, I picked my major in college when I was twenty-one years old. Oh, you're where like you picked in? a career path. Well, I studied history. Oh, cool. Which has nothing to do. Well, I guess has more to. I'm so used to. I used to work in tech a long time ago, and I'm so used to being like history has nothing to do with tech, um, oh, wow. which is true. But I guess it has a little bit more to do with podcasting. But you, you, how? How did you know you wanted to do stand up? I mean, I'm sure you didn't know, no, but how did you get the inclination to do stand up at 17? I, I mean, I was super lucky, and I, I mean, none of all the credit to my dad. My dad is the biggest stand up fan in the world. And so when I was like, oh, interesting. When I was super young, he would, he was just constantly playing stand up albums. And I love stand up albums. And like, they, I mean, they just like, I listened to them constantly. And he did this very cool thing where he like, talked to the manager of the Irvine Improv when I was like 11 or 12 and was like, Hey, my son loves comedy. I love comedy. Can you just let him in? And like, and so I, at that young age, he like got me into shows to see like Louie before he was huge or like, 
Greg Giraldo or like uh yeah, got so many good comics on the on the come up. Mike Birbiglia, like in like two thousand seven. Like I was so lucky wow. to and that I just loved it. And I, I would memorize them and then repeat them to everyone at school and act like I wrote them. Um and, <laughs> and Damn dude. This gets out. You're oh, canceled. And I still do that today. No, I'm <laughs> <kidding>. <laughs> um but yeah, and then um and I knew I I was like writing stand up bits around that time that I would I had no chance of ever doing and have never I think I the first thing I ever wrote was like a joke about snakes on the plane snakes on a plane had just come out and I had a joke about how <laughs> ridiculous that the premise was for snakes on a plane. Um Ah, that's kind of that could be you yeah, know maybe I'll bring it back. That's, maybe I'll bring that's it back. good for an eleven year old. I was thinking <laughs> it was gonna be about, you know, farting or something or like, i guess you've come around you, you've come around yeah um all right so wait so but you you well first of all where is the irving improv slash where oh did you in, uh, in southern california um irvine huntington beach area um got it got it yeah and it was just a good i think it's yeah it's still there i think it's even bigger now um it's just a big stand-up club in the middle of a strip mall beautiful outdoor mall nice. <laughs> the Irvine spectrum is lovely um and yeah I just I just like loved it um and you were like I want to go to NYU and go perform stand-up in New York yes, City absolutely. that was kind of the level of because it was like my I mean my um my mom was always I mean my parents are very like I mean they were just very much like you have to go to a good college like you have to go to college and like they were very set on that it wasn't like a they had mm -hmm. a, a very strict plan for me so I was like, well, if I, I'm going to go. But did you want to? Like, was part of you like, I want to just go do stand-up? No, you no, know, I did. I definitely, I wanted to go to NYU really badly. I wanted to do the writing program, and I wanted to do stand-up. And, like, it all just seemed, I had a friend who, uh, I went to, like, an arts high school, and so a couple other people had got to pitch, and, like, seeing their experiences, I went out and stayed with them a couple times in high school, and just, like, seeing that, I was like, oh, this is exactly, this is what, this feels so right. Um yeah. And yeah, and then came out and did the the open mic at the Greenwich Village Comedy Club, and it was just it actually the first one went really well, and that was the problem is that like, the, and I feel like everyone has this experience where the first one goes so well because you have you're so fucking like you just have 17 years of like ah I've never done this before of material yeah, yeah sure and then after that I just bombed for for so long and then I like one time bombed so hard that I was like I'm just never gonna do this again and then didn't do it for like seven months and then came back and wait what 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 happened what i want to know about <laughs> it, this is how little i knew at the time it's like it and also my jokes were shitty that that is mainly why i bombed but also secondarily it was a 5 p.m mic at a at a um uh manhattan uh, midtown comedy club like it was still light outside it was sunny and like <laughs> there were three people in and i didn't get a single laugh and i was like i just can't do this again and i didn't realize that it's like so dependent on the crowd that you have also the jokes are bad but like I was just so intimidated. I feel like I'm someone who will like, I feel like I, and I'm so jealous of people who don't feel this way. I would just assume anyone has stature. And so I will just be intimidated. Even today, I'll be intimidated by just like regular open micers. It's just because it's like, I don't know, they probably know something that I don't. And like, I'll be nervous to right, talk to right. them. It's the dumbest thing. But I felt that so, I don't, I feel that a little less now, but like at the time I was like, oh my God, these dudes who are at this 5 p.m. open mic in, in Midtown, like, these are comedians and I'm scared of them. And like, I just felt so, right. I don't know. I just had such an incomplete picture of what the comedy world was at the time, understandably. But yeah, I mean, and then I stopped. For sure, a bit, sure. um, and then yeah, started up again. Wait, but that's seven months is, a, I mean, 
That's a long time. Yeah. There, the, you know that that w- w- I what brought you back oh. after seven months? Were you just like I got to fucking you know? Because that's a really uh, I don't I don't want to say I don't want to go too crazy with it, but that's a kind of somewhat inspiring notion to like uh, uh, give hang up the dream for a period of time and then yeah. come back to it and find the success that you've had. I feel like that's you know not insignificant. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it was just like a thing where, and again, this was so. It, I realize now that I could have stopped, and I kind of regret this. I could have stopped for three years and have been fine. Like I, I was so like kind of picking claws, like I'm running out of time in a way where it's like right, I probably right. stopped like November of my freshman year and started up at the beginning of my sophomore year, um, and didn't get anywhere for year, had no, not even an inch of progress for years after that. But I like there are things like I didn't study abroad because I was like, well, I can't take the time of stand up. I've got to be doing open mics every night. And it's like. I should have just fucking gone to Amsterdam or something. I could have studied <laughs> abroad. I could have gone anywhere and I sure. didn't. And I was, I'm so stupid. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think it was just a thing where it's like, well, what, you know, what else am I going to do? This is what I wanted to do. And like, it's, it's here, it's in front of me. And like other people were doing it. Other people in school were doing it. So it's like, it feels insane that I wouldn't be doing it. Um, and so yeah, I just kind of hopped back in. Uh, oh, and meeting Rachel said it, meeting her was a big part of it. Cause she was, she was going to a lot of open mics and then suddenly having a friend who would go to all the shitty mics with me made it a lot easier. Going alone was really doing that for a year was, I mean, I didn't meet anybody for a year. I would show up, not talk to anyone, do my set, stay, leave. And like, just, I felt like such a loser, like having a friend to walk home after and be like, Oh, that was crazy. is like, that's everything. Right. That changed everything for me. Wait, so how, how do you guys just meet kind of like we both like comedy and we're both around the same age at NYU? Yeah, kind of I think we were. Oh, actually, I know for a fact we were both auditioning for the NYU stand up group. And I remember I was filling out the sign up sheet on a against a pillar and I had the pen and she needed the pen. And someone <laughs> I remember overhearing someone be like, that's Mott. He does stand up three times a week, which is nothing now. But at the time it was like, and she was like, oh, my God. And then we she all she has a work ethic that is just unparalleled. And so I think like having someone who was down to like just go all the time was like, I mean, that's hard to find and yeah, really yeah. important. I think um, that seems like a hard, I mean, that's a hard thing uh, as I, you know, when I think about kind of creative work, especially now as everything is like increasingly fragmented, yeah. it, it's really hard because if you want to get anywhere, you got to do it by yourself or you got to, find you know the rare instances where you can like you know click with somebody yeah. and have chemistry and all of that oh, so totally. that, I, I can totally appreciate the like value of that yeah i think that's i think it's really important to yeah have a friend like that who like is like and someone who pushes you like i feel like she really like at the time yeah i thought doing stand up three times a week was like everything and like seeing her i was like oh no i i need to be going twice a night like this is crazy like she, right. she really like showed me what like a what hard work actually looks like because when you don't know you think it's like anything and then you see someone who's actually working hard and you're like oh fuck that's, that's what you're supposed to be doing right so, yeah I mean, i'm i'm nervous i'm nervous for that for when <laughs> i'm gonna encounter that very soon it's like oh doing one podcast a week is no, not hard you've got, work. you've got so many podcasts like, <laughs> um uh, okay so you're you uh, uh, who who, what type of person is going to see, you know, a 17 to 19 year old do stand up? Is there a kind of vibrant community <laughs> no, of, of people who do nobody, that? Nobody, nobody wants no. it. Um, I think it's yeah. annoying. 
did you feel young like i did felt you feel... young and i did this stupid thing that i regret so much where i was so insecure and i was doing so badly that i felt the need to specify that i was young which just makes everyone fucking hate you um and that's what i did and it was so stupid um i should have just like put my head down and like not said anything but like I would like go out of my way to say, "Oh, it's so fucking obnoxious." Were you young looking? Oh, I was because I mean, I looked young. fucking twelve when I was yeah. eighteen. Oh my god, I was just like totally clean shaven, short hair. I I look, yeah, I look like a fourteen year old. Um, oh, but also like it's what's so funny is that when I I met a lot of people then who like after I stopped and came back, and then like years later, like started to have a little bit of progress. I met all those people again but they don't remember that they met me before. And I think they either don't remember that first person or think that person disappeared. Like there are a lot of people who don't know that they met me three years before they actually met me. And I never want them to know. It's the new, new mom. Yeah. Or just like, yeah, that weird Indian kid who kept saying he was 17 all the time disappeared. And this guy seems great. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's crazy. Oh, okay. So when did shit start to pick up? I mean, did you notice it? You know, because obviously you got Patriot Act, which is like a, a a clear delineation of a kind of like that's a job in comedy. But I suspect that there was momentum building before that. Well, it's funny. It's it was such a. I thought it would be a thing where it's like, oh, I take this step and then this step and then it's like, okay, now I have a TV show and then I take this step and it's such a it's such a weird hodgepodge of steps. So it's like I did start to. Like, I, I feel like I would set, and Rachel was so good at doing this, we'd set goals of being like, all right, eventually we want to have one show a month, and then we would get that and be like, okay, we want to have, like, one show a week, and then eventually it was like, we want to be booked every night, and, like, I feel like we were getting to that point, and then I threw, like, a total freak accident got Patriot Act, like, it had nothing to do with <laughs> any show. <laughs> it that wasn't was, on the plan. No, not at all. It was such a bold out of the blue, and it was funny because, like, at the time, like, my stand-up career wasn't anything like it was like i'm getting booked a lot but these are free shows these are bar shows these are shows at union hall which are great and so much fun and like socially the best thing you could ever do but if i'm not touring i don't have a following like i i'm sure there are people who go to a lot of comedy shows in brooklyn who say like oh i've seen that guy before but it's like that they're you know like that's not um so it's funny to like there was a lot of like i should not be writing on this tv show like this is this is unfair there are people who have really put in the time and have built a following that like should be doing this. So like that feeling kind of went away after a little bit. And it's just like, it's a job just like any other job and there's nothing magical about it. But like it was, there were a lot of like, and I'm sure a lot of people feel this way and get into situations like this. Cause none of this is linear, but like, it was always weird to like do a taping of the TV show and then go to like an open mic afterwards. Like that felt like, <laughs> not cause I felt like I was a bug, but imagine. just cause I was like, Oh, this, I feel like, I feel like I shouldn't be in either of these places. Like it is, <laughs> it's just weird right right um but that's that is interesting so what what um what was the freak accident or not freak accident but freak absolutely <laughs> the, freak the, accident um like freak situation that led you to patriot i had been working i had opened for a couple uh bigger comics when i was at nyu and their managers saw me and like they they didn't sign me or anything, but they were like, hey, we'll help you out. Like, um, I was I don't know why they did this. I was so bad at the time. It was incredibly nice of them. But they were like, we'll help you out. And like, I didn't know anything about the entertainment business or anything. So I was like, great. I, this is right. And then I saw that uh, Hudson show I got announced. And I was like, oh, if I could. I'd never done a packet before. I was like, I'd love to do the packet for this. It seems like it'll be a fun thing. And I did it. And like, just 
I don't know. Somehow it just worked out where it's like I made it to the first round and got the interview. And th- when I got the interview, I was like, this is all this is all I could ever ask for. I don't even want the job. Right. I just want to meet. It would be so cool to meet husband and like just have an interview for a show. It was so fucking exciting. And I remember I took an hour off of work to go do it. I left work and like. <laughs> I, where were you working? I was working at an ad agency as like a as a weird I was like an errand boy I would like water the plants I would get <laughs> coffee and I loved it I was having the best time they had an in-house chef and I got really close with the chef and so I was like kind of like helping him prep meals he would make a different lunch for everyone every day it was the most fun and so like I told them I had this interview for a tv show and they were all so nice to me and like so excited for me and I left for an hour and like had the interview and like did I did I thought I did a horrible job. Um, I like talked about Cumtown weirdly. Um, <laughs> I remember we talked about that. Yeah. That's so funny. Um, and then I was like, that was the most fun thing ever. And then, like, got the email. I didn't hear anything for like a month. And then one Friday, I got an email that was like, hey, they want you to start on Monday. And I was at work, and Get I was the, like, wow. I I I still sometimes look at the email just to feel a little jolt or something. Oh my god, I remember I w- I had left the office to go buy succulents because that's what I did on Fridays. I went and got succulents from the Whole Foods on like Lafayette or whatever. And I saw the email, and my legs just gave out, and I just sat down on the sidewalk, and I was like, I can't believe this. I cannot fucking believe this. And then I got the succulents and brought them back, and I told everyone they were like so nice to me. Um, and yeah, oh my God. And then actually it's funny. They were like, oh, do you have anyone who can replace me? I was like, oh, Rachel, Rachel came. And Rachel came in and took my job on the Monday. Um, no She came way. in that day and I oh trained her gosh. like on where to put the LaCroix and everything. Um, <laughs> Dude, this ad, this ad agency is the, re- it's like the uh, secret um, like incubator <laughs> yeah. of, of the, of the New York standup. They're world. the best. I, I love them. Um, yeah. Fuck, that was Damn, such well, a good that's, that's a, that is a a crazy story and does kind of like um you know it's funny especially in talking to you know a bunch of creative people from all different walks of life one of the through lines i've seen is that it there always does seem to be like some combination of just kind of being good to people being in the right place and then talent and like that, it, it does seem like that that is the intersection, like that that's the secret sauce, right? Is like you, it's like 10% something, 10% something. And then, you know, your talent takes you the rest of the way. But it is funny. I mean, you're so, you're like, oh, it was so lucky. It was so, oh, you know, lucky. but you, you, you got in on a packet. What's a more <laughs> sort of merit-based way to get into stand-up than a freaking blind packet it was a, i feel like it was a packet that was like uniquely suited to what i could do at the time where it's like i feel like i could write like a i i knew how to write a sentence like i could i could write a sentence that sounded like a <laughs> sentence and like and also I, I feel like i had an idea of like what a joke looked like just from like watching so much john oliver growing up it's like oh i know what these jokes sound like um right but yeah my god it was it was uh it i, I do really truly a hundred percent believe that it is like like 60 percent no like 80 percent just luck and being in the right place and like out of 19 percent something else and then one percent being capable but like it's it really <laughs> is like it's just like there are so many little things there's like oh if i didn't meet this person i wouldn't have met this person and then like i wouldn't i don't know where i'd be today like it's such a free thing it's almost scary to think about you know or it's like god what if like something was just a little bit different i mean it's such a trite thing to say yeah. but it's so true the, the the way that I kind of like to rationalize that kind of thing is it makes me feel like um, 
like going to a party is a somewhat sort of productive behavior because mm. <laughs> i'm like dude i've met i've gotten so many business opportunities from yeah. parties it's like i gotta go hey, to this one hey city dude moklin phone lemon time they not him seeing but all they know is hammer time ah, you can't touch this i'm reggie but on airy line all right peter fast we moving on that heavy time dr sebi flow you know my shit be out what was it you did you have any um you know, it doesn't sound like you were, I mean, like, like you said, Patriot Act, someone came out of the blue, you know, that, that space that Patriot occupies of like comedy infotainment news kind of thing is, a, uh, I feel like a kind of staple of comedy television going back to, you know, John Stewart and, and, um, Colbert mm -hmm. and all of that. And, and I get the sense that especially with, John Stewart with The Daily Show, that was a real way where people got their news from John Stewart. People yeah. were like got informed about the world way more from John Stewart than they did from the New York Times or mm -hmm. whatever. And I don't know if that's actually true, but that's what it felt like. Yeah. Did you feel um did it feel like it was suddenly very serious that you were part of like a news job and responsible for like educating a certain group of people or, or were you always focused on the jokes and just kind of like, if it's funny, it'll be good. Oh no. Yeah. I think it always, I think the product weirdly, like the, the idea of the show coming out of people seeing it and taking something from it was just way overshadowed by the day to day of doing the job where I was like, I was so stressed at first about keeping the job and like, trying to like do a good job that like the idea that people watched it was like so distant from my mind it was all the activity on my side was just like this has to get done like this has to get done and then once it was done it was like so out of my mind in a way where it's like i think i watched the first couple ones just because it was exciting but like after that i would i would forget when episodes would come out even though it was the same day every week i'd be like oh shit, that episode's <laughs> out but like there was so much work like writing it and getting it through that like well, yeah i mean Oh, you know, sometimes I would check Twitter and see what people were saying. But after a while, it's all the same things every week where it's like 50% of the people say this, 30% say that. It's like, it really doesn't change too much. Um, I felt no responsibility. I feel like the people in charge and like who had, and I had no responsibility. I was so lucky where all, all I had to do was like just write and do jokes. And like, there were people who like had to fact check and like whose name were on the show in a way where it's like, I, I feel for them. And like, they really did a great job. Right. For me, I was just like, I was, truly just having a fucking blast i was really having a good time um and i miss it did a lot. you find yourself getting more politically engaged i mean was that or were you already politically engaged before i think or? i was getting i think i got less politically engaged during the show just because it felt like work and like it i didn't want to like i didn't really also just like read the the news books of, of research for the episodes were so dense that it's like I would spend so much time reading those that like to then check. Wait, what's a news book? Oh, just like the big books of research that you would get when you're writing an episode. They'd be like a hundred or so pages of just like every, everything the researchers who were great uh, pulled together on a topic. And you would read that for every episode that you did and like really get to know it pretty well. Um, wow. And so that so much time was spent on that where I was like, Oh, I don't need to really. And I find myself getting more, um, consuming more political news now that it's over like now i definitely mm. i watch my shows every day and like um i love i love that and i did before and there was yeah just a little gap in between when i was working on patriot act um 
I, I kind of get that. Yeah. I, my, my, the more podcasts I make, the less podcasts I consume. Yeah. Yeah. Um, was it, was it, did you have any feelings about like, about the kind of project of making, you know, infotainment of kind of of being like I'm gonna educate people or or kind of put forth an ideology or a way of looking at the world, you know that that was that yeah that I mean was that I think because it's a really complicated thing, right? I mean, there's a, so much good about about infotainment and about you know all these kinds of things from patriot act to chapo trap house like yeah it's cool that people are excited about the goings-on of the world mm -hmm. it can also get really dangerous when when uh cnn or fox news are doing an in a type of infotainment that's in my opinion more sinister and yeah. like i i <laughs> i uh, uh, did you were you thinking about that actively or was it kind of more like, let me just get through the day? Yeah, no, that's, that's actually a really, uh, that's a smart thing to bring up. Um, I definitely, I definitely felt like that and like felt like the fun parts were like opportunities to like put in points, put in jokes from points of views that I didn't, that felt very much like, oh, I feel like I would be the only one to put this in. That was very exciting. And I would always, I would fast forward episodes and just watch when those show or like just watching the show live. I would always be excited to see those. For example, my dad is like, and my, my whole family are very conservative. Um, and I grew up very conservative, like super far right. And like, I, I'm obviously not that in any sense. I'm the exact opposite of that, but like there are, and I don't, I really, and yeah, I think it's bullshit to like compare the, the left and the far right but there are some targets that you could hit from both sides and it was very fun to like you know throw in jokes that like i knew my dad would appreciate and that also cohered with my political views that was always very nice to put in like a joke about i put in oh, i put in a god this feels so dated now but i put in a joke in 2018 about uh joe biden touching people inappropriately and i was like my dad's gonna love that <laughs> and i remember watching the episode and being like that's for my dad um damn that's funny that was really fun um not in ways i would never put like a, <laughs> a joke that was so out of step with my political beliefs but you know sometimes there's a little bit of crossover where it's like hey we both don't like this person fun to make fun of them totally um the and you know it's funny i have actually i have another a dear friend of mine in high in from college grew up really conservative and then kind of made the switch as well yeah he was actually the um he was the president of the young conservatives club <laughs> at his high school and oh, then so is now, yeah. Like a, you know, socialist leaning dude. Yeah. What, how, how did that switch happen for you? Was it like over time? Was it exposure to yeah, something? It was, it was mean, very gradual. It was very much like, I mean, I remember in 2008, I was what? 12. I should say I, I was also more conservative when I was, when I was younger. Oh, I, totally. I, I, I don't think I was a conservative, but yeah. I was way more, of a like, I mean, I don't think I ha I had a sort of doctrine of San Francisco liberalism, which like didn't mm -hmm. was kind of incoherent. Are you from San Francisco? I yeah, uh, yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. so uh, the what was the switch for you? Well, it's funny to think back to like 2008. Um, obviously nowhere near voting age, but like I was very much like I love John McCain. I had a bunch of John McCain shirts. Um, oh, that's so fire. And then I, I ended up going to a high school that was like, 
I mean, I went to a super conservative middle school. I remember one, there was one kid in the whole grade of like 400 people who liked Obama and everyone made fun of him all the time. Uh, it was oh my God. inconceivable. I remember when Obama won, I, my whole worldview was shaken. I was like, I thought I had no idea. I had no fucking idea that people liked him. It just was, I was not exposed to that. I didn't know anyone, anyone who liked him or who made a case for him. So I was just shocked. It was like, a, it was really a bolt out of the blue. And then I went to a That's high school so that was, inc- I went to an arts high school, very liberal and being exposed to that, like changed me very quickly. And like, you know, I wore a uniform every day for eight years to school and then to not have to do that anymore and to meet people who were like regular and had, you know, more uh, palatable political beliefs was like huge. And that really hit me. And then I remember in 2012, I got to the point where I was like, you know, I really like Obama. I also really like Mitt Romney. Whoever wins, I like them both. But they both seem like good guys. Um, yeah. And then that changed more as I went to college. And like, um, yeah, I feel like it was a gradual process. Um, but yeah, in 2016, then it was like, I love Bernie. It's, it's, uh, the process was complete. And that is where I have remained. <laughs> so were you a little bit more prepared than some other people for a Trump victory because you had experienced the kind of, because my experience was not like that. Basically, every president I was conscious of mm-hmm. until um, Obama, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, until Trump, I was like, I was not surprised, you know? I yeah. was like, I, I guess I was like, when I, whatever, when fucking Bush um, Jr. won, I was like uh, 12, 11 or something, and I didn't understand why, you know? I th- but anyway, the so you, but you had experienced the, the Obama, um, yeah. The shock of Obama. I think so you were ready for that. Yeah, I think that's how a lot that shock that I think a lot of people felt when Trump won is what I felt then because it was like you just don't know people <laughs> who are not who are voting for him. You just don't know them, and so you think it's impossible. Whereas like when Trump won, it was like, oh, my whole family has been obsessed with this guy for a long time. I I remember Damn. in 2015 those um they're so fun to go back and watch now those Republican primaries with 20 people on stage. There's one part so fun where um, the moderator asks if any of them, it was like, it was something about what well, you guys all commit to not running third party if you don't win. And, uh, and they said, oh, they were like, will anyone not take this pledge? And Trump put his hand up and the whole arena fucking erupted in a, like a Bruce Springsteen concert. It was insane. And I remember <laughs> seeing that and being like, there, that is the next president of the United States and then watching the rally. No one was watching these fucking rallies where it's like, this is, this is something insane is going on. And like, yeah, it really, I remember really believing everyone that like, you know, everyone around me in New York was like, this this is a joke. This is such a joke. This and that. And I remember like a feeling that I've, I've not felt since where it's like a sick feeling of like, I feel like I'm in a dream where it's like this really bad thing is clearly going to happen. And everyone's telling me it's not, and no one will listen. And like, it's that thing where you feel like you're in a dream when you're trying to scream and you can't scream where it's like, this is really fucking bad. This is so bad. And I remember when it happened, it was like, I couldn't, I was, I was still shocked. I, I really yeah. was like, yeah, it was, that was such a crazy time. Um, Dude, I would have been one of those people telling you there's no way. Yeah. I was so like pod save America pilled. <laughs> I was like convinced that yeah. fucking, um, Hillary was going to win. Yeah. I, I mean, well, not to bring it back to media, dude. It's like, that's how fucking powerful this stuff is. Yeah. This is, it can really like create a, um, uh, you know, it can warp your understanding of, of 
of like the kind of temperature of the country or whatever. Oh yeah. In a way that's like hard to see when you're in it. It's really difficult to see. I mean, oh, you know what other moment was really, really scary to me and was like very startling is like that the second debate with Hillary, the town hall one, where he where he told her that he would put her in jail. And the whole the whole room <laughs> fucking burst out in applause. And it was like yeah. and I remember afterwards everyone being like, Trump really fucking botched this debate. I was like, Did you hear the fucking room? He killed he destroyed. They loved it. It was right. so it was so fucking scary. That is a time that I am so happy we don't have to relive. That was really a scary that whole election was horrifying. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. No, it's funny you're you're like um your comedic sensibilities like allowed you to uh, see the truth. You were like, dude, he's kill- <laughs> he's crushing he's in there. Like, yeah. yeah, Hillary is bombing, bombing, yeah. and he's just uh, he's just fucking. The thing he ad libbed something about honest Abe. Like, he do you remember he said something about <laughs> Abraham Lincoln that was like it, it was genuinely kind of funny, but it was also just like this. This is just crazy. This is a this is something that it just seemed inconceivable that he wouldn't win. Um, it was really scary. So we we are we're approaching the hour. I do want to I want to ask what type of stuff what type of kind of media do you consume? Like how do you what's your kind of media diet? Um not you know I it's a couple of things. One thing I watch consistently actually is that show uh you know Rising with uh Crystal and Sager on the Hill. Um No. It's this show that's produced by The Hill. It's this girl, Crystal Ball, and this dude, Sagar and Jetty. Um, she is uh, super far left. He's he's like a right-wing dude. Um, but it is it is a fantastic show. They both have such really great points of view and like have great guests. Ryan Graham is on all the time. A bunch of people from The Intercept. Uh, they just had uh, Glenn Greenwald. It's just, it's a, it is a fantastic show. And I watched that every day during lunch oh wow and that i um it's just been they're just they're great and i mean sagar is a a brilliant dude he's super young which is upsetting he's like 28 and like has this great career and like super well read um and yeah just a really nice show i i don't agree with sagar a lot but like i i enjoy the conversation and they have a great discussion and like it's, it's just a fantastic show i love that um that is the thing i watch every day and then I, do, I like to do a thing where I pick like a, uh, this is going to sound so fucking stupid, but um, I, I feel I need to like have, I need to be very strict about routines. Like I like to feel productive and I like to, even when I'm having fun, I like to have it as like a checklist. Um, and so I will, for watching things, I will pick somebody and watch everything they've ever done in order. And then I, I will not veer from that. I try not to watch anything outside of that. And so I did on Moldova. Who are you on right now? I'm on this dude, Olivier Assayas, uh, a French director. Um, he, he did a bunch of, uh, he, he did the, that movie with Kristen Stewart, Personal Shopper. Um, he's super interesting, really fun with music. Um, has like, oh my God, he made a, I just watched his movie, Carlos, which is like five hours long and it is riveting. Every second of it is so fucking riveting. It's really just like, you are on the edge of your seat the whole time. It's it's so much fun to watch with somebody. Um, and, uh, but yeah, so I'm, I'm getting towards the end of him and then I might, uh, I don't know who I'm going to do next. 
um maybe like uh who was i thinking of um i want to do some i feel like I, I did all moldavar right before this so i, I don't want to I don't feel like reading subtitles anymore. I feel like I just watch like 40 movies with subtitles and I like, uh-huh. <laughs> I, I like to be also be able to eat while I, uh, while I watch something. And I feel like sure. when I'm reading, I, I can't. Um, so I don't know. Uh, but those are the two things that I, I mostly consume. Um, is that. And do you, so I, I, that made me think of two things. One, um, you know, that, the, the, the taste level that you're working on with you know embarking on the project of of you know consuming a director's whole thing you know it is a um esoteric kind of like not super accessible for everybody way to consume media i have tastes of that nature around some things as well i think i think a lot of people do do you do you what do you how do you make sense of a of something that is um not that that what am i trying to say like the these movies are are if somebody dropped into this 5 hour movie do you think they would just immediately be riveted or yes. do you think it is you think yes i think this i think there are some that definitely especially i feel like the early i feel like you start to see patterns in everyone's bodies of work where it's like the early ones super inaccessible and like almost hard to watch and i feel like that's that's fun because it feels like you're working towards the more fun ones and it feels like you're kind of earning your meal which i like um but you get to a movie like carlos which is like it is it is genuinely i think it was a big hit when it came out in like 2010 and it, it is like it's the uh, um just the story of this like it's it's like an ocean's 11 style movie about a terrorist and it just follows him through all of his exploits and it wow. is like it is fucking pulse pounding and like there are just long hostage scenes. It's, I, oh, it's so funny you mentioned that. My cousin who I live with, I, he dropped in for the second part of this movie. So that's like two hours in and ended up watching the rest of it with me. Like it, it is that one I highly recommend. But there are Got it. So, that are, yeah. so maybe I, I picked the wrong example. It sounds like this movie isn't, isn't inaccessible at all. It is. So do you, I guess maybe my question is, do you find yourself do you find yourself generally gravitating toward more hard to reach, hard to kind of access film, or is it more just you because you've got a wide taste? You're consuming movies from just less popular directors, so it's not even that they're esoteric or hard to access. It's just that somebody like me, who's less of a cinephile, just doesn't even know who that is. I think yeah, I think it might be. I mean, I definitely prefer. I think I, I think I prefer more accessible things. And I feel like that's what makes it so fun is like having to power through the ones that like, I feel like all the ones that like, I see people on Letterboxd being like, this is the best movie. It's like, I, I don't get a lot of those, but like someone like Pedro Moldovar, like he made, he, I mean, one of my rules is that they have had to make, have had to have made at least 15 movies. And so there's enough to like kind of get through a long period of time. And that he has made like 23 movies and I would say wow. 10 of them are just like wildly entertaining. Like he is, they're like just, uh, just fantastic. And like, yeah, I feel like you, I feel like you also that way end up seeing a lot of movies that you wouldn't have gone out of your way for just like the in-between ones that people didn't really talk about. And like, sometimes you find one that was like, it's just like purely entertaining and has no more value beyond that. And because of that it was kind of forgotten because it came out of like 97 and like, 
it just doesn't get talked about anymore. And I feel like that's right. that's a fun way to discover stuff like that. Also, sometimes they're incredibly and I, boring, and you're just like, I have to, I have to force myself, and I like that. Right. And I wonder if it, if it, if it turns, it combines being productive and leisure yeah. in a way that's probably palatable and like fun to, you know, you're not watching a movie being like, I should be writing a joke or whatever. Yeah, you know? that's exactly it. I think, I think a lot of people are like this, where you have to like trick yourself into having fun. And I feel like this is my little yeah. trick into doing that. Absolutely. Um. All right. Cool, man. Yeah. Well, that that's all. That's all I got. That, that you've been a. Uh, um, dude, this is so fun. Incredible guest. Talk. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, dude. I. Uh, I. Uh, yeah. Here, right, let me end the podcast. So we can talk shit off. Off. Hell yeah. Um, all right. <laughs>